Hey everyone, this is Jason from Sheep Out of Water. The following episode is our second attempt at this conversation. During the first pass, Chris shared about his departure from the priesthood. After thought and much discussion, we were reminded of the complexity of the situation. We believe it should be given proper attention and ultimately its own episode. We decided to take a little time to prayerfully consider how to best share this with you, so stay tuned. The readings we focused on for this week's episode come from Sirach chapter 3, verses 18, 20, and 28 through 29, Psalm 68, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 19, and 22 through 24, and last but not least, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and verses 7 through 14. Also, I failed to share the source of a book I quoted during our conversation. The quote came from the book Humility of Heart, written by Father Cajetan Mary de Bergamo. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, welcome everyone. Episode 7 of Sheep Out of Water. This is Jason, your resident former atheist, speaking with my good friend Chris, your resident former priest. And here we are. Uh, technical difficulties have have been the story of the week, but we are fighting through it. God's help. Amen. Jesus cast out those demons of technology problems. That's right. Or the reality is uh, my lack of humility and thinking that I had solved the problem yesterday without having to double check it before we started tonight. I think they call that user error. <laughs> we do have an ability to spiritualize things a little bit. <laughs> well, that's a horrible segue attempt into our topic for tonight. Um, and so what I wanted to do is, is start with the first line of the Old Testament reading of Sirach, um, because I think it's a good segue to get into humility. And the first line goes like this. My child, conduct your affairs with humility, and you will be loved more than a giver of gifts. Humble yourself the more, the greater you are, and you will find favor with God. Mm -hmm. So based on that, I think you're going to be able to tell if you haven't already dove into the readings that it's going to be about humility. So I want to start tonight, Chris, and ask you, what is humility? <laughs> Humility, uh, I think there's a lot of different definitions that are out there that try to attempt it. And actually, the more I think about it, the harder it gets to define it outside of the fact that it's a habit. Because I think there are people who, you know, might think of themselves as humble because they always think everybody's greater than me. God, of course, is greater than me. I'm not that great. I'm well, those aren't really, it's not an example of humility. That could be issues like, you know, self-confidence. It could be a habit of putting yourself down. It could be anxiety about being in the presence of other people and not being good enough. So that's not humility at all. Uh, what I really began to realize as I was thinking through it is humility is that habit of realizing that there's always something greater than us. You know, that it's a virtue. Humility is virtue. And virtues are habits of doing things. And the scripture seems to support that because it says, my child, conduct your affairs with humility. Not do this one thing with humility or do that one thing with humility. 
but conduct your affairs do everything that you do every day your whole life with this virtue of recognizing that there's a whole lot out there greater than you smarter than you better than you kinder than you and ultimately that we're not god who is all things that we're not and you will be loved more than a giver of gifts humble yourself the more meaning get deeper and deeper into that habit the greater that you are because the temptation against that will be there and you'll find favor with god so that's my long answer to a short question <laughs> <laughs> but you tapped into the rest of the old testament there i think in that it talks about it, it's not it's not this it's a it's a it's an action almost right mm-hmm. and so um and and i agree with you 100% in that it's it's knowing that you're not god but it's this this active work in thinking about that and thinking about how i need to put others first that's humility mm-hmm. and it talks that the, the 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 what i was talking about here at the end of it end of the reading in Sirach is is um the, these these I, I guess ways of of what you might think are great people kind of acting in humility so the mind of a sage appreciates proverbs all right the sage is this very wise person so if they're so wise why do they appreciate proverbs they know it all right no no that's why that's why they're humble because they know they can oh there's always more there's always something greater like you said right the intentive ear is the joy of the wise. So if you're so wise, what do you need to listen to other people for? They should be coming to listen to you. No, that's not the right attitude. So maybe that's another way to look at humility is it's an attitude, right? Of trying to remember you're not God and to just remember that there's there's always something you can learn. There's always a way that you can get better. Um, and you can take that in a lot of different ways. Yes, that the... The uh, that habit is the actions, the continuous actions, reforming habits of actions and and beliefs in that way that lead to a disposition. So I guess the actions lead to the disposition, which is humility. So the more I practice that, the more to my nature it becomes to do that. The more I'm just disposed to recognizing that there's always something more I can learn, always greater good that I can do. And always something greater calling me forward to do those things. Yeah. And there's that that other verse in there too. What is too sublime for you, seek not. And to things beyond your strength, search not. And we joked at one point about that's the initial hashtag stay in your lane. Like the very first (laughs) stay in your lane long before Jesus came along. Uh, But that too is a disposition, right? It's, It's not saying... Don't be amazed by things. Um, you know, my mom, God rest her soul, she had this uh, reaction to things that we kind of made fun of her in some ways that when she would read something or see something that she was amazed by, she'd say, wow. And it's always <laughs> the same, like jarring, like, wow. Uh, so it, it's not that, she, you know, she, you can't let your mind be amazed by these things. But at the same time, be in a humble position to recognize that there's a certain extent to which we can go and that we shouldn't become obsessed 
to the point that it's taking us away from those things that we should be doing or ought to be doing in our daily lives. You know, uh, same thing with into things beyond your strength, search not. Um, and I think, you know, joked about this before with you, like I certainly am a very ambitious son of a bitch, like <laughs> have been my whole life. Uh, some of that was groomed into me. Some of it is what probably led me into the priesthood, not probably did lead me into the priesthood. Uh, but to recognize that it's not saying into things beyond your strength, like don't think about, because that hum humility, that disposition of thinking about it as something greater than me will automatically put me in a place where it says, no, don't try to grab a hold of it, Chris. Like you got a C running average through most of high school in math. You failed your first macroeconomics class, and then you got a D minus because the professor had pity on you the second time you took macroeconomics in college. So you failed macro. I had to withdraw that class. Did you really? I did. It's a bitch. <laughs> it's, I was okay with micro. I did okay. Micro is okay. Yeah. But, but I, my problem was I took macro at, at 8 a.m. on whatever day of the week I took it. <laughs> I, I'm going to blame that. No. Oh, I, I, you blame. <laughs> You blame that, but I'm humble enough to know that. And when I say I did good and did well in micro, that was like a C minus. Yeah. But the macro was a D minus. I, I remember vividly walking up to the professor. I don't know what they do now. You probably send an email or I don't know, send a tweet to the, I don't know what they do now, but I remember you had to walk up to the professor because I had missed, like there was this period where you could just withdraw no, no harm, no foul. I had missed that. And you then had to get the professor's permission to withdraw their class, yeah. which I think is kind of crazy in a way, because I had gotten to that point, too, where that you don't get your money back either. So I'd pay for the class oh. by and I still needed his permission. So I go up to him and I'm in my my score. The class was just awful. So I go up to him and I'm like, I, I, I I'm going to need to withdraw your class. I need you to sign this. And and I said, I'm getting I'm like at a seven percent or whatever it was. <laughs> And I'm not, you know, there's, I just see no way of me getting through this. So I need to withdraw. And he just looked at me and he just nodded his head like, yep, you're, you're not going to get anywhere in this class and just sign it. He didn't say a word. So did you get your money back? No, I, I, I was able economical to economical of them. What good <laughs> <economics>? <laughs> they, they let me withdraw. That was, that was the gift that, that, that they did. They, they, I could take the class over again without any penalty to my GPA. Man. Yeah. So anyway. Well, all that's to say that uh, into the things beyond your strength, search not being that bad habitually at math. I I should I can be amazed by these physicists. I can be amazed by astronauts. And I've been amazed by fighter pilots. I even thought about wanting to be a fighter pilot at some point in my life until I realized fighter pilots need to know a crap load of math and have to <laughs> do a lot of math and it's not just about top gun flying like they're doing math up there and having computers do math for them so I, i'm gonna fall flat on my face if i go out there and i try to you know do this thing beyond my strength so the lord in some ways in, in the scriptures is just saving us from humiliating ourselves and from putting all this energy into something that mm. we know we're not going to be able to succeed at which Spoiler, there's something about that in the gospel. <laughs> yes, there is. So let's let's jump there. Let's go there. So right. in, in this gospel, um, 
this is the the famous parable, right? Where um, it's the Gospel of Luke, and it's Sabbath, and Jesus goes to dine at the home of, of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. And this is the, the he tells this parable of, you know, hey, when you go to a a, a fancy dinner, go sit at the lowest seat, and instead of going to sit at the highest seat of honor, and then people will invite you to come, come, come sit at this seat. You're too low. You're too low. Two questions for you. One, this, what's the point of, and I, I assume it's, I have an assumption and it's easy to understand, but I think maybe there's more of this. I want to ask you, why do the, why does this particular section lead off to, to make it a very specific point? He goes to the home of these Pharisees and that people are watching Jesus really carefully. And then it goes into this parable, like, What's the significance of people watching him really carefully? Well, I would say there's a lack of humility there, you know, because they, they want to see if he's going to, one, they want to see if he's going to mess up. Two, they want to see if he really is who he says he is rather than just believing him and the signs that he was working. And three, that that sense of watching him carefully, they're so busy watching him carefully for their own reasons. They're not interacting with those to whom they were invited to the banquet with, you know, like Mm. they weren't invited to watch Jesus carefully and wait for his every mistake. They were invited to celebrate whatever it is that the, the host was celebrating. And in this case, the, the leading Pharisee. And so it's, it's kind of a setup by Luke, you know, for us to understand that this is one of the many traps they were trying to set for Jesus uh, throughout his ministry. Uh, so yeah, I, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And and that's kind of how I, I, I read it. It's just, you know, they were constantly trying to trap him, but I think the point that you brought up of, Hey, it is kind of a, this comment to humility. And that's maybe why Jesus goes there is that, Hey, <laughs> the, the, you know, I think that's the part that maybe I felt like there was more to it. And, and I think you touched on it. Um, this parable hold on one second. No, go, go ahead. I mean, if you think about the, I think it's another place in Luke. Um, I'm bad at remembering where things are. That's okay. We're Catholic. We're, we're not supposed to know that by verse. <laughs> take, take COVID brain on top of Catholic and that's what you get. Duh, I don't know what it is. I don't know what verse. <laughs> but remember it happened, which I guess is the important thing. That's right. Um, but, you know, that when Jesus goes to the leading Pharisee's house and he invites them to dinner and Jesus comes in and, you know, the, the sinful woman is seeing them washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair and all this thing. And they're, Oh, how could, you know, if he only knew what kind of woman this was and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But let me tell you, did you once wash my hands? Did you do this? Did you do that? No. So she is greater. And it's that, that sense of humbling ourselves in the presence of God that we ourselves then become exalted, not for our own sake, but because God exalts us. So it's it's that same same theme that I think it is in Luke, where you know we see that happening that you've got these people in authority who don't have humility, and then you've got these sinners, these people who are so broken, but are repentant, and they sh- they are in this place where they're just recognizing and, and acting on the fact that God is in their presence and is greater than them. And he rewards them for it, just like the the uh, first reading from Sirach says, that they'll find favor with God 
Yeah. The, the second part of this that, that caught me, I mean, not the second part, but the second thing that caught me reading this gospel is that when you first go through this parable, you're like, is, is Jesus trying to teach people how to manipulate others? Right. That seems like a false humility and that you're going to go select the lower seat. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. And, and as I thought through this and I'm like, no, that's not what he's doing. One, because this is God. He doesn't play those games. <laughs> So if you, you we know that, so where he's not playing those games, right? He's not trying to tell you to manipulate people. That's not that's not Christ-like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I agree, right? So that's not what he's doing. So what is he doing? To me, it's he's teaching them how to not don't don't play the game. If if you like, think about everything leading up to that dinner for people who are worried about the honor part, right? You, you got to get dressed right. You got to wear the right this and the right that and you know, is my hair looking good? All, all the all the things that, that you have to go through. And then how long do you think they spent talking about who's going to be at this dinner? If so-and-so is going to be at this dinner, should I sit to the right of them or the left of them? And if so-and-so is going to be there, they should be sitting at the right or the left of this person. And you, know, you can imagine all these this hand-wringing and worrying about the, all this and all the prep that goes into it. And Jesus gives you this, this way to like, you don't have to ever worry about that nonsense and waste time on that. If you, if you handle it this way, don't even play the game, just go sit at the far end of the table. And then whatever, wherever you land is where you land is the way I take it. It's like, Hey, you sit at the lowest possible place. And if that's where you land, you still get to eat. Mm -hmm. Right. But Hey, maybe somebody says, no, 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 come here and sit here. And then no, 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 come here and sit here. And that's good too. But at the end of the day, you're not playing this, this game of worrying about, the this honor and all these things that, that you have to to worry you know you don't have to play the game right yeah so again it's that action of disposition but actually becoming disposition just go go to the lowest spot at the table make that your default and because of that there will be times where you are called up to a higher place at the table yeah and when we come outside of the parable it means just you know in life take the humble road, go make that your, your default. And whether it's in a job, whether it's on, you know, ball team, whatever it may be, someone may recognize what you have to offer and pull you forward. Not necessarily to a place of honor. That's not, not what Jesus is getting at, but just recognizing your gifts. You know, you, you've chosen this humble spot, but Hey, you know what? You're a great hitter. We're going to, we know that you volunteered to hit ninth, but how about you take the number five spot in the lineup? Because we know that you can hit them home. Yeah. And that, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But putting so, yourself in the, the, you know, the cleanup spot when you're really in, uh, and not such a great hitter, well, then that's a lose-lose for everybody. Because all the guys on base lose because you can't bring them home. You lose because you stink at baseball. And you <laughs> try to make it so that you look good about it. The coach loses. Everybody loses. Yeah. So Jesus is saying you want a win-win situation, and this is how you go about it. Yeah. The the line for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted was probably not probably is the very first line in scripture for me that that struck my heart. Hmm. And I could remember vividly, and I don't even know if I had even fully converted at that point, but reading that or hearing that or whatever, I worked at the time in an incredibly competitive environment um, where there were constant 
power struggles, really, not necessarily for position, but for control of, of assets and resources and facilities in very competitive. And it was, that's how I performed. I learned how to, 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 to succeed in that environment. And I got pretty decent at it, but I think what was happening by this line striking me at first was you're, it was the antithesis of what Jesus was saying was, was the environment, you know, was, and it, it was wearing on me, I think, but that's why I think this struck me. It's like, Hey, I was always, I guess, taught or, or just by the environment to go out and, and not humble myself. It was to go out and win, yeah. you know, in a way. And, and so and the way I went about that at times wasn't, I don't think very good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Found myself in a lot of arguments um, unnecessarily. And, and I remember writing this down. This is also probably my first act of evangelization if I look at it too. So we you know, had a dry erase board in our office and I wrote this down at the top of my board. Nice. Uh, and I did it for myself because I wanted to remind myself that, look, you're, you're going at this wrong, but you've been doing this for years. So it's it's again the antithesis of what you're saying is that we we can if you constantly practice these virtues it becomes your disposition, right? I had the opposite, right? I was doing what I shouldn't have been doing in terms of being aggressive in these arguments. So that was my default. I had to write this line on my dry erase board to remind myself, like when I go out of this office, humble myself. Mm-hmm. You know, don't go in there trying to just win the argument. Go in there. Try to listen, see what's going, find a solution maybe that works for both people. Um, or if we're wrong or you're wrong, admit it. And I had to literally write that on the board to remind myself. And it took, you know, years of, of that, of reversing that thought process. So, yeah, it's a practice. I, and I think that's great for the listeners to hear as well as for me that it's not just about praying or even fasting for the virtue of humility. You've got to get your ass out there and do it. And that's yeah. why psychologists, a lot of times when they're trying to, help us change behaviors will tell us to write these notes on a, you know, on a, write a note on a sticky note, put it on your steering wheel or your door or write on your mirror, you know, and so that you're constantly faced with that message, whatever it may be that you need in order to turn the behavior around. So it, it doesn't surprise me. It took years, but it's so amazing that you did it because it was something that you actually took action steps where you were very conscious about it. It wasn't just about dear Jesus, make me humble, mm-hmm. but Absolutely. you had to work at it, which is itself humble. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I think you're spot on. And I think I realized that back then. And, and it's what I love about our faith when I learned it is that it's not just praying and having this magic thing happen to you. You have to participate in it. Right. And it, and it sometimes takes a long time, especially if you, you've, you've kind of practiced the wrong way in, in this. And I think that was a very valuable lesson for me early on was that, and I think it was also invigorating in a way, because I was again, a competitive person, active person, like hands-on type of person. And, and once I realized like, no, 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 this isn't just this magical thing that happens if you say you believe you, you got some work to do. And I think that was, that was very freeing. I mean, it was certainly challenging to think about that, but it was freeing too, the same way. Um, so yeah, which leads me to something else. Like I think a lot of people think that, and then you said this before that humility is 
this weak, you know, I don't know, like just measly, mousy, measly, mousy type of thing. And it, it reminded me of this quote. Um, let me find it here because I wrote it down. So this is from uh, The Transformation in Christ by Dietrich von Hildebrand, a, a book that it probably took me two years to read. <laughs> but it's an amazing book. Um, and, it, and there's a, a ton of sections on humility. And this is the one that, that, that I think fits what we're talking about. The section header is humility is neither spineless nor servility. Sor servility. This type of man, he who suffers any insult without defending himself, cannot live except as a hanger-on, a subordinate to some strong and powerful personality. He is by no means necessarily free from pride. In given circumstances, he may ride roughshod over weaker ones or social inferiors. He's very sensitive to honors and greedy of praise for his services. These attitudes, too, are the fruits of a natural need or a certain reasonable sobriety. They are not humility. So a great theologian, thinker, <laughs> that's why I want to read him instead of me saying anything. But I think it goes to this point that, and I think that was probably my view of humility. And I think I've touched on this, my view of, of you know, peace, hippie Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want anything to do with that. No. And then, you know, when, when I start, start hearing about this virtue of humility being so important, I'm like, I struggle with it because I'm a prideful person. You know, um, but it, it, it it's not that, you know, it, it's this, there's a great strength to it because you have to take this action. I'm pausing because I'm going back to your statement about being a prideful person. And I guess I don't know if I see that in you. I don't, I don't see you as a prideful person. I see you as a person who... Likes to be focused in on what he he's doing at the time, but I no, I I think over time I hopefully have gotten better because of this recognition of working on humility. I hope that's the case. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I, I, it, I maybe it, it comes up in in small ways to me. Maybe I I, I don't. I, I, so like. I'll give you an example. So, and, and Corinne will tell you this, and it drives her crazy. So, if she's going to say something as as we, whoever you're living with, right, your wife, you know, your roommate, whatever, right? But, you know, I live, this is, we've been living together for, you know, 20 plus years now, mm -hmm. and I still do things that drive her crazy, and 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 um, I still screw up, you know, little things. But whenever she'll just, just say something like, hey, you know, this fork is dirty that you put away from the dishwasher, you know, I, and maybe it's just to her, maybe I hide it better for people that I'm not close to, um, which is definitely not fair to her, mm -hmm. but, and I don't even know I'm doing it, but I will react <laughs> with my face, uh, okay. in, in a very prideful way. I see the dirt on the fork. So I know she's uh -huh. right. Yeah. And I logically can think, well, I didn't look, you know, and this is a dumb example, but it, it just, it, 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 it's, I think the best one that illustrates it. Um, I can see it. I know she's right, but I don't want to give in. Okay. So I'll have this dumb, like frustrated look on my face or wh whatever it is. She can ask her about it on Sunday, whatever it looks like, but, but I'll, <laughs> I'll probably walk out of the room because I don't want to <laughs> hear it. 
but it's true. Like I'll struggle with that. Um, and that's where pride gets me. Um, and I think as I look back at being younger and, and before you and I were friends and, um, it was probably a lot worse for, for bigger things. Um, but to me, it's, I'm nowhere near where we're called to be because if I'm acting like that to my wife, who's my best friend, the person I love the most on this planet, um, you know, like, what does that say about me from a pride standpoint about a stinking dirty fork? Yeah. <laughs> you know what but, I'm saying? Yeah. Even as you're talking, like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we asked the question, what is humility? And maybe as part of the discussion, it's also asking what is pride? You know, there's mm. a, the saying pride goes before the fall and um, the devil's pride, you know, was the kind of the famous saying or infamous saying, I will not serve. You know, that I'm not going to serve you, God. I'm not going to serve man. Uh, and that the, the underlying pride, there's the opposite of humility, which is that there's something greater than me always. And recognizing your place in that, whereas the devil and, and all of his fallen angels refuse to do that. So you might be stubborn, but, but I don't know if that's a necessarily pride in that. You know, you're not saying there's something greater or I am greater than this or greater than that. I, well, uh, in a way, though, I am. It's like this this conversation about the dirty fork. And I can't believe we're talking about this as the <laughs> example, but but y'all get the point. Like there's there's other things, right? And when you're living with people oh, and stuff. This is a really big part of theology. <laughs> I know that you remember that homily I gave about, uh, oh my gosh, it was one of the most divisive homilies I've ever given. You know, it was uh, the dishwasher, about loading the dishwasher <laughs> and how you've got different, well, I mean, people have their way of doing the dishes uh-huh. and don't mess with it. So I, I'm with you. <laughs> Dishes are a big part of theology. <laughs> yeah. But but the attitude that's going on in my mind in that second is like, oh, this is such a waste of my time. That's a prideful attitude. And I think, I mean, it's not, I don't really think those words are going on in my head, but that's, I think the 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 synthesis of the reaction is, oh, you know, what a waste that we're having to talk about this fork. And I don't, who are you to point this out to me like that? I, you know, it sounds, this sounds stupid that like, you know, we get into some brawl about a fork, but we don't, but it's, it's just the example. But, um, I think it's, it's a part of it. Um, let me throw this one at you. And, and this is a different way to look at it. And, and I struggle with this and I think everybody does. And I, I can't remember where I've heard this, but true humility is when you're engaging with people in conversation or, or you're never, you're never thinking about, you're not even thinking about what you say, what you look like, what I'm about to say, how is it going to be perceived? None of that's going on in your mind. You're just engaging in the conversation back and forth. You're in a Zoom and you never look at your own camera, you know, to see if if you look like an idiot on the camera or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. how much time do we spend in conversation where you're thinking about what I'm saying? How's it coming across? Rather than just saying it, in in 100% being engaged in the person you're talking to, to listen to what they're going to say next. You know, you should never, in theory, be worried about what, how they're judging you, right? Yeah, but in the same way, uh, you know, that we had the discussion about humility, I I don't know if that's just not anxiety, you know, like, uh, yeah, 
am I, am I looking okay? Am I looking too fat? Am I looking too skinny? Are my eyes too dark? Is this or that? You know, like in my Zoom thing, it could just be some sort of narcissism, which is not pride. It's a mental, I don't know if they consider it a disorder or not. Well, who cares? Because they are renaming everything these days. So <laughs> hard to, what's hard the definition when you keep changing definitions? <laughs> but uh, let's just say disorder, because at one point it probably was in the DSM. But you know, you have narcissism, you got severe anxiety, you've got depression where somebody might just be so focused in on themselves, not because they're prideful, but because mm. of whatever is causing their inner depression. So that would be closer to vanity, maybe. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about vanity. We did. You know, in the scriptures. but All things are vanity, so. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> as you're talking about this, the pride is it's just so much deeper. Like all of these things might flow out from pride, but pride is so much more horrible. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'll throw it this way though. Like the way I tend to think about it is I, I even, even these things that I'm using as examples, right. Mm -hmm. They're steps towards that. They're steps towards pride. They're definitely not steps towards humility. Um. So to me, and this is probably right. just the simpleton in me that has to think like this, like to, in order to, to try and move through my day is a lot of ways. I think I'm either taking steps towards hell or I'm taking steps towards being allowed into heaven. Sure. sure. And, and that's the same thing here. I'm either because pride and humility are, they're just paramount, right? So I'm either taking steps towards pridefulness or I'm taking steps towards humility. And, and maybe that's just too, too black and white for this and it probably is but that's where i know I, I, I think that i think that's a really good way to pull back out of the micro theology and macro theology <laughs> and we and i have failed macro figure that one out <laughs> <laughs> is it just say is it leading me to god or away from god bam yes. humility there we go see i was right you were wrong <laughs> <laughs> You're not a prideful person. You're just stubborn. <laughs> that was right. You were wrong. Awesome. Oh, man. But uh, anyway, this gospel to me is, is just fascinating because it, it it pulls all this these human elements into play and he's, he's just kind of turning them upside down. So um, I don't know if you had any other things you wanted to share on the gospel yeah, or not. Definitely. So the end of it, uh, towards the end of it anyway, we see that he's saying, you know, when you have a lunch or a dinner, interesting that he says not just one, but also the other, do not invite your friends, your brothers, blank, blah, blah, blank. Rather invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And I remember reading that in and praying on it in seminary and thinking about my ordination and for my ordination year, you have your first mass and there's always this big blowout, you know, reception that some people have. And I knew my parents were pretty proud of me and wanted to have that for me. And of course I wanted to invite my friends and my, you know, all these different people in my life, but I also really wanted to just go out and invite people in the community. I mean, to be that radical uh, people on the streets, the homeless that were in around the area mm -hmm. where I was ordained and, um, I can justify it, I think, wrongly, but one could kind of go back and forth on it that I could have, I should have, or there's no way, you know, it would have 
disrupted the whole thing. And, you know, my parents were paying for it. So ultimately it was their call. But I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying is disrupt with this. And so I thought to myself, okay, for my 25th anniversary of ordination, this is what I'm going to do. You know, instead of having this big blowout thing, invite all the bishops that I've gotten to know and all the monsignors and the cardinals and whoever else. Now I'm just going to go down to the shelter where hopefully I was ministering and invite them and go to all these different places, you know, where the folks are not as held in as high esteem in society, invite them to the 25th anniversary. Mm. Okay. So which is leaving the uh, priesthood. So that's not going to happen. But but think about like, if if that comes to fruition, like, you know, they, you would have saved money on hat racks because there wouldn't have been like zero funny hats coming, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, no mink coats. Not that anybody ever wears those anymore anyway. But no, as, I just had I a was, vision of, of like the bishops and the cardinals coming in and they're like actual, what are those like mitres? And, yeah. <laughs> Which is not what they do every, for, for our non-Catholic friends, they don't go to, to parties and social gatherings and they're mitres and they're, no. they, yeah. But that was the vision that went through my head of your 25th uh, ordination anniversary <laughs> probably was one of my visions too is they'd all come <laughs> in in their clerical apparel um but you know so you might think okay well for his 25th he was going to do this but that's more humble and maybe for one of our big wedding anniversaries maybe we do this you know okay that's humble but it's really not it's still not humble two reasons one is there could be even greater Two is why am I doing it? Well, ultimately, right now, it's for me so that I feel better because mm-hmm. I didn't do it in my ordination. And why did I want to do it for my ordination? Maybe for some holy reasons, but also because I wanted to be impressive, you know, to myself. That's that's some sick ass pride. I mean, mm-hmm. that that really is pride. Forget your fork, your dirty fork. <laughs> I'm more prideful than you, Jason. <laughs> you win again, I guess. I yes, I do. <laughs> But no, the, this wait, reflection... didn't you say earlier like you were ambitious? What were you saying? Yes, I'm oh, I want to be the proudest. I want to be the all. proudest, <laughs> Dave Matthews. That, that's a good song. It is. Are you gonna song. sing it? Is that is that their impersonation for the week? No, I can't do that one. I can't do it. <laughs> that's hard. Not a lot of people can. Uh, but the reflection I was doing with this, uh, in fact, I could read it. Uh, I should probably reference who it's by, uh, by John Bergsma. And in this, he says, uh, just really taught me some humility right then and there as I read it. But he basically says, our evangelistic um, effort should be motivated by humility, realizing that we ourselves are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind in God's eyes. And all of a sudden, I was like, dear God, like, I'm like one of the Pharisees. Oh yes, I'll I'll invite. Jesus said to invite these people to hmm. my banquet. So okay, gonna have my banquet. Gonna invite the poor, the lame, the crippled. Yay me! No, jackass, you are the crippled. You are the lame because look at your pride. It's completely debilitating you. You are the one who needs to be invited to the banquet because you don't have enough in you to even have a banquet. And in a very like humbling way, not in a sickening narcissistic way, I was like, yeah, that's where I am. 
I'm not even the guy who can have the banquet to invite them. I am one of them. I'm crippled by my pride. I'm lame because of my pride and poor because I lack humility. And those are the things I need to grow in. And I need the Lord to invite me to his mm-hmm. Eucharistic banquet week after week after week so that eventually that habit of going to him will help me realize that he is greater than me. Mm. That's the key, right? He is greater than me. Mm-hmm. And if we can keep that in our mind, then we're probably on the right path. But And everything that he that you have is a gift from him because he's that great. Right. It's not what you, you didn't burn it, you know, you didn't deserve it. No. And that language I think scares people too. When we, oh, that's just so depressing. And, but it's yeah, true. In I, today's, yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, like if you, you put it in that context, I don't think it's depressing. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Truth can be hard. Right. But it sets us free. It shouldn't be depressing us or pushing us down. I think that comes when people object to it. I think it comes from if I'm using that language, they think I'm the one putting this value on it. When I when I say you don't deserve it, it it's like, well, Jason thinks that you, I don't deserve it. And that's that mm-hmm. he shouldn't. That's mean of him. No, no, no. That's judge. that's not yeah. right. Like, that's not that's not what's happening here. It's. God is so he's great and all good comes from him. So look, none of us deserve any of this. Um, that's what we're trying to say. But can you really think about that? And, you know, 10 second interaction, that's a pretty, pretty deep thought to kind of keep in mind, but it's important. It's an important one. So. Yeah. I remember father Jeff Martin, um, was ordained with him and good, holy man, uh, awesome conversion, but he, said to me one time in a confession something very bold and forthright where i you know was talking about all my sins and i said uh you know i just wanted to do some of these things to try to make up for it and it was the holy spirit speaking through him without a doubt and he looked straight into the depths of my soul right through the back of my eyes and he said you can never make up for your sin i was like you know you hear this like thunderstruck and it really like yeah i've been given everything that i have including the very next breath that i'm about to breathe and i i waste that gift or i turn it i throw it back in god's face of my sin and there's no way to give back or to make up for that but the beauty of the message is his mercy says you don't have to just repent just turn again but it was it was a getting getting smacked with a backhoe bucket you know of humility right in the face but i think what makes it a uh, an act of love it goes back to the first reading right like when you get a a really nice gift from somebody out of the blue not for anything you did or you know just a random like we all that's a really special thing we all appreciate that you know that's what's happening here is, is all these things that we have are these great gifts that we didn't do anything to get them, but how nice is that? And how, how beautiful is that? And, and merciful or, or however you want to put it, mm-hmm. that he loves us that much that he's giving us all these things. Yeah. You know, um, that's the message of it. When, when we say we don't deserve it, it's right. actually a positive one. If you can take it to its full, <laughs> full thought that, 
yeah. hard to do, hard yeah. to do. So, yeah, we've talked about a lot about the gospel, the Old Testament, um, the second reading. Um, again, I think from Hebrews, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, right. Twelve. I gotta say, I struggled all the way up until the, like the last line when it started talking about that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. That struck me because of an interview I had heard with Jordan Peterson um, recently. And he's uh, the, the story of Cain and Abel are, are, are really kind of really have an impact on him. Mm -hmm. And he explained that story in a way that just hadn't really sunk in. I mean, I've read it and everything, but this, this, uh, this, the, the basis of the fact that, you know, um, Abel has, has done everything well and he's offering these, these great gifts of, to, to God and in the best way possible. And Cain holds back, he holds back the best and that's mm -hmm. what he gets in trouble for. Mm -hmm. And rather than realizing he's not doing what's right, he kills Abel because he's jealous and mad that Abel was doing a better job than him. Right. Mm -hmm. All, all to this humility and everything else like this. But, but this line is talking about how much more perfect is Jesus's sacrifice than Abel's who, who was in the old Testament giving a great, almost perfect sacrifice to God. Um, and that struck me, right. Just, just how, how great again that sacrifice that Christ made. So that that part kind of hit me pretty well. Um, but I, I struggled to understand the first part. <laughs> I really did. Um, just the language of it, I just I just bumbled over. I'll read a couple of sentences here and I, I don't. You've not approached that which could be touched in a blazing fire and gloomy darkness and storm in a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words such that those who heard beg that no message be further addressed to them. That's one sentence. And I'm thinking, okay, we, this is obviously translation and stuff like that, but I just struggled trying to even understand what was happening in the first few lines. Well, and, and if you look at the scripture verses that are actually in the second reading, it's Hebrews 12, 18 through 19. Going to skip a couple verses and then put in 22 through 24a. So when you go back and you read those verses, you realize it's a whole recapitulation of what was happening at Mount Horeb. Uh, you know, when, uh, or Mount Sinai, I guess it was, when they were um, in the Old Testament experiencing all these things and death that came from touching the mountain. And even if an animal were to touch God's holy mountain, it would be killed, you know, so we don't want to talk about God killing things. <laughs> so <laughs> they skipped that all because it's pretty deep theology. I mean, it, it's a much more profound understanding. It's not that God is killing things because they touch a mountain. There's much more going on in terms of people and trying to understand and interpret what it was that they were seeing and experiencing and hearing. But that aside, uh, I think it also makes it hard, not just for you, but for me, because it's one of those things where we're getting the reading out of context. Hmm. And so it's this huge, like, momentum leading up to this you know and then all of a sudden boom here's this reading and then it cuts out whereas within the scripture itself within hebrews chapter 10 11 12 13 it's got its place yeah so and i almost, haven't sorry. yeah i 
I think I talked about that before, like getting into scripture over the last couple of years, um, going through an entire book <laughs> sequentially, it's, it kind of helps, <laughs> yeah. right? And I think too, you know, you hear about all this time, like prayerfully go over the scripture before mass and all those kinds of things. Well, I think it's important to, and I haven't done it yet with this reading, obviously. And and some of it's because I, I'm trying to I'm just kind of read what's in front of us for Sunday to try and put us in the place of the mass and all that kind of stuff. But we're, we're supposed to be reading before and after and trying to get all this and, and then hope and then keep praying on it and all that kind of stuff. But, um, that's the challenge when we don't, we still, and maybe this is a good example too. I don't know why this hit my head, but when you start taking random verses out of scripture to, to kind of supplant it in to make a point or something like that, it's, it's helpful in some ways by all means, but it's also, you can kind of show where it could create confusion if you're not giving an entire context of what's happening in a chapter or something like that. It's freaking dangerous. So mm -hmm. it's like, I, I remember talking to a, um, a person that was Protestant considering uh, converting to Catholicism. And they talked about how they prayed with the scriptures and God just spoke to them. And they had a question. They would just open up the Bible and, wherever their eyes fell, that's what God wanted to say to them. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I heard that story about somebody else who did that. And he had been fighting with his wife and he opens up the scripture or the wife had been fighting with the husband and she opened up the scripture. And it was the scripture where the woman takes, you know, waits for him to fall asleep and then puts a stake right through the side no. of his temple. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you want to follow the piece of advice. No. I don't think that's God leading you to that. So let's that would be a an more comprehensive way to pray <laughs> that would be a more important one to go back and, and get the context leading up to yeah. after right let's not take that one out of context huh yeah. but i mean you could so you're right jail. though like it's dangerous to we're meant to read god's word prayerfully and and try to understand con concepts and context and all those kinds of things and it, it is uh it is challenging when we we only pull a few lines out and try to try to make meaning out of it yeah right yeah. so anyway I, I i don't think there's much to pull out like separately for that reading in terms of an explanation other than it's like a um i can't think of the musical uh, word for it but you know when you have uh, a symphony building into crescendo and mm -hmm. it's just just crescendo of praises and explanations of the past coming together with the future or with the present into the future in this one particular passage and it ends beautifully, you know, and it's just like this final like note is, you know, the fact that Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel, hmm. meaning just that there can be nothing more perfect because Jesus is all just Jesus is all merciful and we killed him and we didn't just kill him. We crucified him. And because of that, he who took the sins of the world on himself made the perfect sacrifice to God so that we could be set free. So that's why I asked you before reading, because I'm lazy. So I figured I'll just ask Chris in the podcast. So I don't have to No, I'm just kidding. But no, I, I, I have always appreciated, you know, your, your knowledge and, and insight on all this. So in a way I, I did want to ask you. So. Yeah. I, I'm just humbled to be able to, have had the theological training and mm. scriptural training to get a start at it because I'm definitely no 
scripture scholar, but when right. you sit and you pray with the readings and live with them, you know, day in, day out for what would that have been 13 years of my life, you know, mm -hmm. before leaving the priesthood that you, you like friendship, you develop a familiarity with them that you can speak to your, your friendship with scripture. Yeah. Which is a good thing for sure. I guess. So. I don't know. Right I, I'm, oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, a gift. A gift. It is a gift, right? All friendships. But oh, it's been, been an amazing ride so far. Um, I am spent in terms of uh, notes and thoughts and all that good stuff. I don't know if you have anything else or. Um, uh, just came to mind. Haiti came to mind for me again. You know, we had talked about Haiti a couple episodes ago when we uh, when we had gone together on a mission trip. And I just continue to struggle personally with some of these Psalms, like um, hmm. Psalm 68 in our readings this week, where it says the father of orphans and the defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God gives a home to the forsaken. He leads forth prisoners to prosperity. Uh, and in your goodness, so God, you provided for the needy. And, uh, you know, the human side of me just wants to tear my garments and scream and say, no, why? Why do we have people that continue to be hungry and needy? Why do we have widows who are not cared for? Why do? Why did Mother Teresa have such a boatload of suffering, lonely people in her care? And that was just in a few cities in India, and she had to keep spreading out throughout the world. So if this response to Psalm is really true, the Psalm, I'm sorry, the Psalm is really true, then why? And Mother Teresa's answer, of course, is the one that I have to go back to, even though it grades on me so badly, which is we are the reason why mm. this is not coming. God isn't just magically fairy dusting <laughs> food and prosperity and housing and clothing to people. He's saying, you guys, these are your brothers and sisters. Care for them. Invite them to the banquet. And mm. we just turn that down or we blame it on corruption or it might truly be corruption and all the above, but the widows are not all are being taken care of. And the orphans are not all being taken care of and the poor are not being fed and the needy aren't being given what they need. Not because God isn't doing his part, but because we're not doing ours. Yeah. I mean, we're given the stewardship, right. Of, of helping each other and taking care of our environment, all those kinds of things. And we're certainly falling in some ways. So, um, it's a stark reality of the situation and it's not because of him. It's because of us. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, before we end in prayer, I wanted to throw out some housekeeping things real quick. Um, first and foremost, when to keep encouraging you all to share, um, podcasts, whether it's via email and, um, you can email us at sheep out of water podcast, gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or Instagram and all that good stuff. And we did add a YouTube page this last week. So you can check us out there. We're going to be throwing some shorter clips from the podcast and maybe some other things as we go along on YouTube, um, just to kind of add just different variations of what we're doing here in, in hopes that, that, um, you, this can be shared and that it's helping people and all that good stuff. So check us out on YouTube. We, we just started the channel and, learning that fun world. So I have a uh, favorite prayer, uh, humility prayer that I wanted to 
start us off with. Um, so I, I'm ready to rock, ready to start our prayer. So in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. My God, who are you and who am I? I can do all things if I'm strengthened by your help. Without this, I can do nothing. Let not the foot of pride come to me. Grant that I may be humble, but that I may not know that I am humble. Make me holy, yet ignorant of holiness. I offer you, my God, all my thoughts, all my words, and all my actions today. Grant that they may be thoughts of humility, words of humility, and actions of humility, all to your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, give us humble hearts and contrite humble and contrite hearts. Be merciful to us, sinners. Amen. Amen. Lord, in preparation for our time tonight, you led me to the praise and worship song, Come to the Altar. And I know why. Because in my doubt, in my pride, in my confusion, I'm so worried about being able to say things that I thought maybe you'd want me to say and say them right. And you just very gently, musically led me right through that. Just come to the altar. And that's what I did. Spiritually just came to you, your altar, accepted the invitation to your banquet, to be in your presence, to recognize you are greater than me. And that there's so much more out there that I could not even begin to come close to even thinking about, much less explaining. But it doesn't matter because you can explain to our listeners' hearts exactly what it is that you want them to hear when you want them to hear it and that we are just those instruments. So we come to your altar spiritually in this Sunday and for those listeners who do go to daily mass as well, come to your altar daily to receive you in the word, to receive you in sacrament and take within us you who are greater than us, who have given us the very lives that we have to do good for others and so to worship you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, everybody. God bless you all.